damage control on a Pez dispenser. <laughs> <laughs> but they should flavor it. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway. <laughs> oh, all right. So anyway, here we go. Welcome to another episode of Screen Fix. Not Screen Fix News, Screen Fix. That's right. We're going to take a recent mm-hmm. movie and we are going to fix it. We're going to combine our minds. We're going to use our years <laughs> of movie experience, our movie pass failures and triumphs, <laughs> and <laughs> collect it all together so that we can fix films. And why do we fix films? Because we're nerds. We love it. We love movies. We fix films we like. We fix films we don't like, which are easier to fix. But, you know, yeah. sometimes the ones we like are kind of challenging. And that's why this week it is challenging. It was challenging for us. Definitely. Because both of us liked Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, how long have you been Ant-Man again? Not long. It just sort of happened. I could fight bad guys like you. I seem to mess it up almost every time. Maybe you just need someone watching your back. Hi. Like a partner. Dr. Pim, I actually heard what happened to you. You opened up the quantum realm. That's when this crazy could be ghost who like walks through walls and stuff. Stole your tech. The only chance we've got is both of you. Ant-Man and the Wasp teaming up. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Marvel's latest. Ant-Man was like a drippy cone of ice cream. It was like two scoops of... (laughs) Of, of sugary, sweet comfort food. Ant-Man was the ice cream our moms used to get us when we were distraught after a trip to the dentist because we were so brave. Like, Aww. Right? Because you know why? Because we all got our collective teeth drilled yeah, we did. with Infinity War. So we needed ice cream. I think Ant-Man was that ice cream that we all needed. I would agree. But speaking of all of us and the public at large, what are the stats? Lay it on us. Statistician, Lady Wan, Tell us how this movie did. So I will say a lot of people saw this movie, but not all of the people, which is what happens most of the time when a Marvel movie comes out. So this movie opened July 6th. It was number one at the box office in the U.S. that weekend with $75 million. But after two weeks, it's at $133 million domestic, $150 million international. And as far as opening weekends, it is ranked 17th out of the 21 Marvel movies. It's ahead of only like OG Ant-Man, Hulk, the original Thor, and original Captain America. And when you adjust for inflation, it's below all those. Adjusted for inflation? Like I got all movie nerd. <laughs> I got more stats. Okay. Uh, how did audiences and critics like it though without just wallet? Tabbies, tablets, tabbies, without just the wallet, tabletation, tablet. What is, what is that? What is tablet? Tabulation. Ah, without just the the wallet tabulation. (laughs) So this movie is 86% fresh, according to critics, and 79% of audiences liked it. So OG Ant-Man, 
There you go. 82% fresh from critics with 86% of audiences liking it. So So critics were a little more into the Wasp and audiences were a little more into the first one. Interesting. So that is our stats. Before we dive into how we would fix Ant-Man, let's go ahead and give a little summary about just what Ant-Man was all about. Here we go. Here's Ant-Man and Wasp, the quick and dirty version. Here we go. So Paul Rudd is back as the diminutive or sometimes gargantuan, you know what I mean? Like we all saw Civil War, (laughs) Ant-Man, in his real life name, Scott Lang, the thief turned security expert slash Avenger. Anyway, he's on house arrest due to his collaboration with the criminal Captain America during the events of Civil War. Uh, Hope Van Dyne and Hank Pym have estranged themselves from Scott due to him exposing their Pym tech to the public at the infamous airport fight in Germany. Hank and Hope have been in hiding because of Scott, but they've been working on a plan to open the quantum realm to retrieve Janet, Hank's wife, Hope's mother, and the original Wasp. They briefly open it, and Scott receives a vision placed in his head by Janet when he entered the quantum realm in the first Ant-Man film. I know there was a lot of like screenshots and things that showed that perhaps in Ant-Man's reflection of his mask that it was that Janet was seen, that the wasp was seen. Mm-hmm. So this is the fruition of that. So Scott reaches out to Hope and Hank about this quote-unquote dream that he had. Um, and he's kidnapped by them. The vision that Janet had placed in Scott's head was a memory between her and young Hope, uh, (laughs) them playing hide-and-seek, and it is the proof that they need that Janet is still alive somewhere within the Quantum Realm. Uh, but they also need a specialized part to be able to keep the quantum realm open long enough to enter. So they have a meeting with a shady illegal tech dealer, Sonny Birch, played by the great Walton Goggins, to obtain it. However, in the middle of this meeting, it is revealed that he has discovered the true identity of his buyers and wants to sell their incredible shrinking lab to some buyers that he has. Some very mysterious buyers that you cannot say no to. So I'm wondering if... Uh, what Marvel Comics uh, 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 entity this can possibly be. Who knows? Connections right? to Oscorp. I'm curious. Connections to all kind of evil, you know, Roxxon, all of the Ooh. evil uh, Marvel companies. Who knows? Basically, a fight inevitably ensues between Hope, who's now the Wasp, and his thugs. However, in the middle of the fighting, you know, of course, Ant-Man joins in to help, but a mysterious villain enters the movie at this point in the form of the quantum phasing ghost, played by Hannah John Kamen, who wants to harness Janet's quantum energy when our heroes bring her forth from the quantum realm in an effort to heal her phasing affliction. So that's the whole setup, and it pretty much plays out the way you would expect. Scott keeps screwing up and falling out of the good graces of Hope and Hank, uh, but eventually proves himself loyal and regains the affections of Hope. They rely on Michael Pena's Luis and the rest of the uh, ex-con security crew uh, at certain points, which actually proves to be uh, more trouble than it's (laughs) worth. But basically, they shrink and grow their way through a gauntlet of villains and law enforcement entities to stop Birch, aid the sympathetic ghost, who is just a kind of a a victim in this story, and free Janet from the quantum room. So that is just a quick description 
of this movie. Hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast, you've, you've seen the movie, so you don't even need much more than that, right? Just a little taste. Whenever my grandpa used to go to the racetrack, the thing he would always say was, I just got to get a taste. And so, like, whenever we go to the track, we're like, all right, you get a taste? Did you get a taste? And that's just what we called the first time you won. And then every other time was like, oh, I'm just looking for another taste. I love it. I just need a taste. Give me a taste. Give granddaddy a taste. I just got to get a taste. Papa, I've got to have a taste. That's actually (laughs) how he wooed your grandma. You know what? It could have been. I don't know. Ooh. Pop, pop. So... Before we just dive in and start chopping movies, we understand a lot of people work on a movie. A lot of time and effort goes into these films. For the most part, no one's trying to make a bad movie. We're going to talk about what we liked about this movie. Go ahead. Lady Juan, what did you like about this movie? I think my favorite thing in this movie was that they finally acknowledged how poor the Avengers incognito outfits are. That was hilarious. Because that's been bothering me for years that they just put on a logo-less baseball cap and sunglasses. First of all, <laughs> who wears a logo-less baseball cap? Like, that's very conspicuous. I gotta say, I have one now, and whenever I put it on, I'm like, I just immediately feel extremely You cool. feel Marvel incognito <laughs> when you... Yes, I feel like they're out to get me, and I am a badass. Sunglasses <laughs> and a logo-less hat. Totally. Is the ultimate disguise. Anything else? Yeah. Um, The most triggering use of a question mark during the mid-credits scene when it says Ant-Man and the Wasp will return and then a question mark appears. Ah! I was like, no, why did you have to do that? I'm still like not better yet. We do know Ant-Man is returning. There are a bunch of set photos of him. At the Battle for New York, actually. So we're going to get, it's going to be pretty fascinating to see how the Avengers are going to pull <laughs> themselves out of this mess. And I'm pretty sure that the, that the Quantum Realm is going to be a big part of it. And Ant-Man. I really hope they use Evangeline Lily. The Wasp was one of the original Avengers. The Wasp was on the cover of Avengers oh. number one. Yes. <gasps> she needs her oh. due. And plus, Evangeline she Lily does. is so attractive to me. She's almost exactly my same age. <laughs> Do you think I can call her? Do you think my people can call her people? You could try. I bet you would have like had to share birthday parties in elementary school because they would be so close together. And I would have been like, um, um, Evangeline. That is okay. First of all, Evangeline is. <laughs> Did you know anybody no, with that name? No, first of all, Evangeline <laughs> is a really hard name for a little kid to say. Probably. <laughs> Evangeline, I got you something. I don't want it, nerd. <laughs> Hopefully that's not how that went. Okay. Other than Evangeline Lilly, or maybe there's more to elaborate on about her, what did you enjoy about Ant-Man and the ah, Wasp? Well, I think that Paul Rudd inhabits his character with a little more confidence this time around. Like, I guess it's like the confidence of having been an Avenger. He's got a little swagger. He's got a little swagger, right? But he, but, but yeah. he's still like humorously self-conscious. He still like makes things awkward. So he still was lovable... You know, Ant-Man, but he had a little bit of swagger this time around. Also, this this mm-hmm. is like, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say, like, the, the thing that I like the most about both Ant-Man 1 and Ant-Man 2 is they do something better than most superhero films do. They have the best third acts. Like, most of these superhero films fall into, like, mindless bashing against, like, a giant CGI baddie, or as we talk Mm -hmm. about sky buttholes that are raining down destruction. 
But instead, Ant Man movies get inventive and they get fun and they never lose their heart. And just like the first Ant Man film, the last 30 minutes of this one are an absolute blast. These movies are like joyful. Is that a weird word to use for them? Getting to that final act can be like hit or miss, but Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, and Michael Pena and the rest of the cast. Uh, Michael Douglas, they're just charming enough mm-hmm. to like keep the film moving along, to like get you through to that final act that's so good anyway. It's just there's just charm in in spades, you know, in these in these Ant-Man movies. And then this one just does such a great job of having uh, having these high stakes of Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer uh, trapped in this quantum realm trapped they're in a tiny shrunken building and it's a race against time to get this building back from our villain to expand it large enough to get them back out Uh, it was awesome stakes there's so much potential with ant-man movies because they can grow and they can go into the quantum realm whereas other superhero movies it seems like they everything just leads up to fighting the bad punching right it goes to just punching and the ant-man films Mm -hmm. they don't come down to just punching and that's what makes them so Mm -hmm. good anyway we're gonna go ahead we're gonna dive in and we are gonna fix ant-man and the wasp are you ready for this lady one so ready without further ado why don't you give me your first fix lady one go okay so i loved all of the growing and shrinking that happened all through this movie it was super fun and it was like some of the most interesting fight sequences that we're ever gonna get in marvel movies just because there's things they can do that cap can't do there's only so many times you can throw a shield at something and it bounces and it catches it and it's cool like i mean i it hasn't stopped being cool yet but it certainly hasn't cooled you down to Chris Evans. <laughs> I, re- I really like Captain America. Oh, you're turning red. <laughs> you're making the studio uncomfortable. It's okay. I like Captain America. Anyway, so yeah, all the growing and shrinking. Very cool, very creative, awesome to look at. But like the third time you're having a fight with the bad guys and you shrink and then get away from them then you grow and then get them like why don't you just stay shrunk and just like peace out of there right so i i don't know it just it seems like a really inefficient way like it's true (laughs) yeah just leave (laughs) the wasp can become tiny and fly like there's there's no reason why she has to fight anyone anymore yeah no they they don't need to be doing any of that I mean, I understand they're doing it because it's cool to look at in a movie, and I don't want them right. to take that away. But you got to give me some reason why you keep growing again to punch people. So Can't the wasp simply fly into everyone's nostril and explode their head? She could, like, just be lobotomizing people left and right. It would be no <laughs> problem at all. <laughs> That's really gross. <laughs> she, she could be flying into people's pants and speed bagging their balls, and nobody would fight. Nobody would fight back ever. <laughs> They would be so yeah. afraid of the wasp getting near their genitals. There's uh, there's benefits to being small. Right. So what I'm going to say is you got to use your PIM tech to explain away why people keep growing back again. And they even have in the movie that uh, Scott's new suit, the activator, malfunctions, which leaves him like 
elementary school size for a while and it's a really funny part of the movie one of my favorite parts of the movie so the movie already has the plot point in there that scott's new suit has activators that don't totally work properly and he kind of shrinks a little and grows a little maybe not necessarily at his own choice so how about something that you can't stay super tiny for a long period of time with those suits. That Nobody stayed tiny the way he did in the first movie to like do a whole heist. That didn't happen this time around. So how about these new suits have a time limit on it? And then that's why they're big and small and big and small. And it just kind of provides some reasoning for that to be happening. Plus, when he gets all giant at the end, he doesn't feel so good. So what if going all small for a while makes you also not feel so good? So... We got to have some movie science, big air quotes around movie science, to explain why they keep growing and shrinking. Otherwise, it's just because you're showing off. I read this this article about the, the science behind that whole thing. Behind shrinking? Yeah, behind the shrinking thing. Shit, I wish I could cite the article. But the, yeah, they had a scientist talk about shrinking. Mm-hmm. And they talked about how there would be a lot of really bad issues if a human being were to be reduced to not even as small as they're getting, just like a fraction of our size that we are now. We would have trouble breathing properly. We would have trouble keeping our bodies cool. He also said, this is kind of funny, the scientists all said that our voices would sound like we were talking through helium balloons. Can you imagine the Ant-Man <laughs> movies as if when they got small, they'd be like, hey, the Ant-Man and the Wasp teaming up. Anyway. I mean, I feel like that would have been good at least once right. or twice. There are science precedents to why you can't be small for a long amount of time. Okay. And you're absolutely right. Like there's ramifications for when he's big. Mm-hmm. There should be ramifications for when they're small. And that would totally. so that would totally explain why yeah. they're like becoming big and small and big and small during a fight when really they could just become tiny and like punch someone's ball. And then you're done. And then they're done. Yeah. I guess the movie would be too short. It would be very short. And it would also be PG-13. <laughs> grab the side of his scrotum, wasp. I'll grab the other side. <laughs> Stupid. All right. JC, what's your first fix? Ooh. Okay. Uh, what is that noise? I liked this movie, so these are the tougher ones to fix. Here's my first one, though, and it's just okay. screen, it's just screenplay related. Like mm-hmm. we always talk about on this show, when anything is introduced in the screenplay, we want it paid off later, right? Totally. So, Luis and the XCon security company. Yeah. The big thing that the XCon company is doing in the movie is they're planning this presentation to this company. So they have detailed schematics of this company's building Mm -hmm. and of their security needs and maybe their security deficiencies, right? Mm -hmm. So I wanted that to come into play later because I wanted a better reason for Luis to be involved in this story. Basically, at the end of the movie, Luis shows up and he's like, what's up? And Scott just says, oh, I thought we could use some help use some help earlier in the film this guy ruined everything so i don't know what help everyone thinks he's gonna be suddenly but anyway he's like i thought we could use some help but i thought maybe they could do some real help and have luis do something even better okay so maybe it's coincidental Uh but what if our bad guy walton goggins has himself an office 
or some kind of very secure chamber underneath some building, right? And that's where he's trying to get to with his building that he has stolen. Because remember, his whole thing is stealing the building, the shrinking and growing lab. Correct. Right. So at the end of the movie, perhaps Walton Goggins takes this building and he runs into his building. It pans up and that building is the company that Luis and the rest of them have been making security plans for. And they they use their detailed knowledge of these security plans to get themselves through Walton Goggins's bad guys all the way into his office or protected part of the building and they steal it back. I love that. So that would just be a reason why Pena and the security team, the rest of the XCON security team are in the end of this movie. They have more use than just being there to tase somebody. The payoff in the actual movie is that they end up getting the contract because they're seen on TV. But maybe they even show earlier in the movie that Luis has botched the presentation. Mm. The company does not decides that they're not sure that they're going to go with XCON. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the movie, they're outside the building. They've got Goggins. They've got his thugs. They're wrapped up. They're tased. They're trapped. The cops are there. And the guy that they went on the interview with also walks out of the building and sees this. And now they've got the contract. I like that. Because I think a really funny scene with Louise as well would be him completely botching I would a presentation. I would love to see him do a terrible job <laughs> in a business presentation. It would be so funny. Oh, I would really right. love to see that. So I think that might be a better fix. Getting Luis involved, the ex-con security company. I'm into it. All right. Lady Wan, fixer extraordinaire. If movies were teeth, you would be fix a dent. <laughs> That's so weird. What is your next fix, Lady Wan? Go. Okay. So Hank gets into that gyroscope thing that looks just like the thing from Jurassic World. And does it not? <laughs> it does. It looks like something. It looks that either I've like a fancy like helicopter cockpit or that right, it looks thing. like some Jacques, Jacques Cousteau thing oh or that yeah I don't know I was distracted by powered it. by Duracell <laughs> yeah, I, I loved all that stuff in the lab I didn't mention that yeah, earlier with, yeah. with my love that stuff was fantastic really yeah. really good touches um anyway so Hank's got to go into the quantum realm and he's gonna go find his wife and the whole reason why Hank and Hope have to do this before Scott gets off house arrest is because there's this certain trajectory, her location has been determined and it's not going to stay that way for long. That's the whole reason why we're rushing to do this movie right now. Everything in this movie has to happen when it does because they've done these calculations and she's in this one specific place and once they target in on her location, they've got 15 minutes to get to her and the clock starts and so you're watching a movie and you know these are the good guys and so you're like, all right, we got it like 15 minutes until he finds her. The point was that her location's gonna move. Right, like she was supposed to like magically like move or something. Right, I don't know, like some kind of weird clock if she would just like tick to the next spot. I don't know, that's like how I visualized it in my head when they explained it. So her location was going to be lost. They made a whole big deal about that's why they had to do it right then. And the count, the countdown goes down to zero and Hank's just standing there looking around like, oh, 
I didn't find her. And it just, it ends at zero. And then a couple minutes later in movie time, he finds her. And they kiss and it's cute and it's nice. But like, what was the point but of the But the time clock? ran out. Yeah. If, right. Oh, it, don't, don't start a clock and then do nothing when it reaches zero. That's silly. That's like a movie rule. What are you doing? So. Right. Like we're under the impression that like he needs to have her like out by the end of that time or, or like at least in his Jacques Cousteau craft. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's he should have needed to have located her, got a grip on her so she can't go anywhere else. Yeah. So I'm bothered by the fact that they set up these rules and then didn't abide by them. You have to follow through with it. So my fix is so basic. It's just make the countdown work. Have him find her right when it gets to zero or right before it gets to zero. It It's so simple. C- honestly, it confused me when it happened, when it got down to zero and he hadn't found her. And then he found her a couple minutes later. I was like, then why did I care about this clock? What are you doing? What would be really great is if the countdown had plenty of time when he found her, mm-hmm. right? And he finds her and he grabs her and he puts her in the ship. Mm-hmm. And they're heading back. They're getting bigger. 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 And then they get to that like level where the tardigrades are, which seems to be a very early level, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh my God, it's not open yet. And the countdown is going, going. They're like, oh my gosh, we only have this much time before they need to open this thing up. And then right in they're like waiting and waiting and waiting. And as they're sitting there, the tardigrades attack their little vessel. <laughs> so the tar- so the tardigrades are also like attacking their vessel. They need to open this so we can get out of this realm and not get killed by tardigrades. And it would have been <laughs> awesome if like right as the tardigrades like ripping the ship and right as the countdown is going, going, going. Because if they don't get through there... She's gonna get sucked out and go somewhere else. Oh, right. Yeah. So they're like, "Oh my gosh, we this needs to open." Like, either I don't know what's gonna happen. Either either the Tartar case <laughs> is gonna kill us, or this needs, to, or she's gonna get sucked to another place. Yep. And it would have been this. Uh, it would have been a much better countdown than having it count down and just nothing. Yeah, it would have been actual stakes instead of a clock that didn't matter. I like that much better. Team fix. <laughs> All right, JC. What's your next fix? I wanted there to be more emotional stakes to Janet having been in the quantum realm. Uh, I thought it would have been an interesting twist if Michelle Pfeiffer had come out of the quantum realm and she was the same age almost as her daughter Hope. They go through great lengths to talk about how time is different and reality is different down there. And I would have liked to have seen some of that. I, I would not have liked to have seen her come out basically the same age as Michael Douglas or aged as many years as Michael Douglas. I thought it would have been much more powerful if she came out. Michael Douglas was older and she was young and they would have had to deal with that. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually going to take it one step further. Okay. In this film, she comes out and she's like super quantum woman. Like she has control over some quantum powers and she helps ghost. I think that this is really tough. I think she should have come back and she should have died. Whoa. It would have been more powerful had she gave them her position and had them bring her back. The entire time, she knew she'd die coming back. But she just wanted to see each of them in person one more time. She knew she had been down there too long. She knew she was sick. And she knew coming back might kill her. And then she actually dies. I thought that would have been. Oh, that's sad. She would have told them, 
I knew that this might happen. I just wanted to see you one more time. I would rather have died seeing you one more time than have lived forever in the quantum realm without seeing you ever again. Aww. That's super sad. I don't think I can handle that. But that way we don't have... Just randomly uh, old Michelle Pfeiffer? We Well, we don't have older Michelle Pfeiffer, and we also don't have Michelle Pfeiffer as like magic quantum person. Hmm. I would have liked real stakes to her having been in the quantum realm for like 30 years. I could see that. I mean, that's heavier than what I wanted from this movie, but it actually does make more sense than she just is fine. Like, why is she just fine? Like, she, at the very least, she hasn't spoken to anyone for 30 years, so she should be a real weirdo. She's <laughs> she's like, I haven't seen any of the shows, you guys. I am pop culture backwards. Oh, my like, God. I don't know anything I going. didn't even think about that. She's never seen Friends. Oh, my God. Now I just really need for, like, future movies with her. She just needs to be on the couch in, like, Hank's house just constantly watching Netflix because she has so many shows to catch up on. <laughs> like he's like we gotta do more quantum research and she's like no there's so much on Netflix <laughs> Lady Wan do you have another fix lay it on us I have a small shallow fix that I had for the last Marvel movie we talked about um, they really really got lazy with our gratuitous shirtless scene for our hero it was like from the side and he's like holding a towel like Sorry. That was your heart rate alarm. It goes off because of these heroes. So you uh, you you made a point about Thor in Avengers. Yeah. Now this one, yeah. why do you need gratuitous shots of muscular actors? Why? Well, first of all, they put in a lot of hard work and They did. They sacrificed. It's for their own benefit. Don't they want proof that 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 happened so really i'm thinking of them when i say this <laughs> um <laughs> that i'm just i'm really trying to put paul rudd first here is your heart rate alarm going off no. again is that okay no. you unplugged it okay that's good that's good i'm just saying like it's a staple and they work hard yeah. they should be uh rewarded by copious uh Ab reveals. Yeah, it's one scene. Like, just let it happen. <laughs> All right, JC, what's your next fix? Here's my last fix. This is what I want. So they introduce Goliath, uh, the character played by Lawrence Fishburne. He is another scientist that has been slighted or uh, has some kind of perceived grudge against Hank Pym. And he is the caretaker of our ghost villain he has promised her that he will find a cure for her quantum phasing and i think this is how the end should have been they there's a scene earlier in the film where where goliath talks about how he used to be used to grow large he used to in the comics the same character was called goliath or oh he was also called black goliath because comics used to be racist but that's fucked um, up he was also a he actually had a very important role in the Civil War comic. Uh, Black Lyoth was killed actually. He mm. was one of the he was actually the I believe he was the first casualty of Civil War. I believe he was killed by uh, imposter Thor. Whoa. Anyway, that's getting a little 
Get a it's getting nerdy. real nerdy. Get a little nerdy up Ooh. in here. Uh, anyway, they had compared the sizes that they had grown. I was partners with Hank on a project called Goliath. How big did you get? My record, 21 feet. You? 65 feet. And I would have liked that to be a precursor to an amazing climax between Ant-Man and Goliath. So perhaps he has been falsely presenting himself as the guardian of Ghost. Uh But maybe in the end, he actually reveals that the Ghost's condition is actually uncurable. Mm. And Goliath has has been using her to steal tech and has been using her to harness quantum energy to become, you know, uh, whatever his nefarious aim is. I mean, these bad guys have some nefarious aim, whatever. But the point is, is I wanted him to reveal himself as maybe the real villain behind the villain because Ghost is a sympathetic villain. She didn't ask to be uh, quantum phasing. And it's also killing her. So Mm -hmm. she needs, she thinks she needs Janet, but it's him that convinced her that she needs Janet. And he's using her to try to capture Janet because he wants her quantum energy for something. But the end of this movie should have been a knockdown, rampage style, (laughs) Godzilla style, kaiju style, gigantic fight (laughs) in San Francisco against a giant Ant-Man and a giant Goliath. It should have been a climax for the ages. Two giant heroes fighting in the streets of San Francisco. Craziness, brawling, all out nuttiness. It would have been amazing. You could have still had the scene where there's a fairy and Walton Goggins is trying to escape because <laughs> he's been like, oh no, they almost caught me in that building. And he's on the the ferry and they're like, oh, and then, you know, it's one of those like, you know, throwaway scenes where Goliath falls on the ferry and he's like, or like maybe he's on a boat and Goliath falls on the boat and he's like, ah, you know, whatever. <laughs> but I would have liked to have seen a climactic fight between a superhero and and a former superhero, now a supervillain, that can both become giant. And they were comparing sizes earlier, <laughs> and that could that could have been a foreshadowing scene, a precursor to this amazing climax. I would have loved it. And that is my final fix for Ant Man and the Wasp. It's good. <laughs> All right, do you have any final thought on Ant-Man and the Wasp? Um, Yeah, I forgot to say how much I enjoyed Randall Park in this movie when we were talking about what we liked. Randall Park was hilarious in this. Yeah, he was really good. Yeah, I mean, my last comment maybe is that uh, I'm ready to see more of Hannah John Kamen. Uh, she's been, this is a huge year for her. This is like the year of HJK. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's... <laughs> She was in Tomb Raider. She was in Ready Player One. And now she's in Ant-Man and the Wasp. I know that Steven Spielberg vouched for her to be in Ant-Man and the Wasp. She's Uh, got three fixes. She has three movies we fixed on this show. Hmm. She is amazing. Look out for more HJK. Nice. Uh, All right. Uh, On that note, we should probably consider this. Screen Screen fixed. 
why don't you send us home, Lady Wan? If you'd like to reach us here at the show, you can send an email to screenfixpod at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at us or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at screenfixpod in all of those places. You can listen to the show on Libsyn, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. If you do, please rate and review. We would really appreciate it. And if you're enjoying the show, please tell a friend. We also have a Patreon account, and I will link it in the episode description. Uh, We do have dreams of keeping this show going for a long time and uh, opening a one-screen theater to be the home of podcasting and film fests and all kinds of fun stuff, and you can be a part of that whole thing. Why don't you give me, Lady Juan? Oh, no. Your... (laughs) Why don't you give me your best Michael Pena saying, what's up? (laughs) A helium was up? (laughs) <laughs> no, just <laughs> why don't you give me your version of Michael Pena saying what's up? Okay. What's up? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Alright, here's mine. <clears throat> what's up? <laughs> oh, that was terrible. That was way more raspy than he was. That's I have I have problems with uh. <laughs> years of damage. Anyway, stay tuned for uh, for another episode of Screen Fix. We have Screen Fix news episodes and Screen Fix episodes that drop every week. All right, bye everybody. Bye. bye.